So I'm just going to talk for 20 minutes, then Joe's going to share specifically into this. I guess if you've got a phone, don't, don't put it onto airplay mode or, or you can put it on silent if you like, but get to your Bible app and turn to Matthew 25, um, preferably the new international version, the UK um, NIV. Because we're accused, aren't we, as believers of kind of being so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but it's not true. Because actually that is a kind of deformed picture of the Christian faith. Um, God's not only concerned about the future, he's concerned about what happens now. And uh, that's something of what we're going to, to look at together. And um, I guess I've, I've kind of called this message the King's, the King's Speech, not because I saw a film about it, but because the words that we're about to hear, more than any other words ever spoken by any person in history, uh, have generated more acts of mercy, more institutions have been formed from these words, more organizations for the relief or poverty, uh, of poverty and suffering more than any other words spoken in the history of the human race. So they're very, very important words. Matthew 25, verse 31. So if you scroll down to there, verse 31, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. But then the righteous will answer, Lord, Lord, when? When do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. I needed clothes. You didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You didn't look after me. Well, they will also answer, Lord, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment with the righteous to eternal reward. Well, they say it's just pie in the sky when you die, that it's like a personal distraction, this religion of ours that keeps people from really addressing fundamental systems of corruption and error and uh, sin. In fact, some claim that Christianity keeps people in poverty. It actually supports the status quo. Well, maybe not. This teaching of Jesus comes at a point where he's speaking of the things to come, the end things, the end of the world, the new heavens and a new earth that was going to come into being. And he speaks of the final judgment. 
And this teaching that we've read just briefly and speedily together teaches me some things that I need to know. Um, one of our girls, uh, she was at an all-girls school uh, in Cape Town. And uh, the end of, either end of term or end of year exam, but not an important year, uh, all, the collector, uh, all the papers for one particular subject had been collected by the, uh, the, the teacher who was invigilating that exam and put into a cupboard in the classroom. And one of the cleaners came in, and the teacher said to the cleaner, oh, please do clean up. There's some, you know, some rubbish here and there. There is some rubbish in that cupboard as well. Could you clean that up? Well, we never really worked out who was to blame. Anyhow, the cleaner threw away all the unmarked paper for, papers for that whole grade. And Jess was miffed. And she, I remember her saying, we've got to sit the whole, we've got to sit the whole exam again. And I, I said, wow. So they're going to prepare a complete new exam for you guys to sit. And she said, no, it's going to be the same one. Now I know how these, these, these fee-paying schools get through this. This, this, this is a clue. This is an insight. And uh, I said, wow, that, they're going to give you the exact same paper. She said, yeah. I said, what an advantage. What an advantage it is if you know what you'll be tested on. Isn't that a great advantage to know in advance what the questions will be? This passage gives us that very thing. It's so kind of God to let us know in advance what we're going to be tested on. So, the Bible does give us these advantages. There are some hints. I'm accountable, but I'm free to live my life. It's true, but I'm still going to give account to God who made me. There's a judgment coming for everybody. Before heaven, we're going to meet Jesus, the judge. There are two final destinations. This passage of scripture tells me that the various religious and philosophical pathways don't all lead to the same place. There are two destinations. It's one or the other. It shows me that this event is coming, that we are living and working in light of a coming deadline. We are ever closer uh, moving towards that. It is coming towards us. It is possible. It teaches me to be eternally and irreversibly lost. It also teaches me that there is eternal joy and satisfaction and an inheritance and eternal blessing from God that can be mine. It shows me that the humble will be surprised by the rewards. The day of judgment isn't all just doom and gloom. It says the righteous said, wow, when did I do that? I'm getting rewarded for something. I don't even remember that I did it. You know, so, and the, but the proud will be exposed and, and ashamed. It shows me that caring for those in need should not be an optional add-on to my life, but should be a much more central and natural, so to speak, thing in my life. It's not additional software. It's part of the operating system of, of my life. It reveals again to me the majesty and the glory of, of Christ. And, and maybe for you tonight, I don't know, I'm presuming that we're all believers here this evening, but maybe it raises for you the key question of who Jesus is. But three quick things that we see. First of all, we see the glory of Christ when he returns. The first verse that we read, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, Jesus is going to return. He died, he rose from the dead. He didn't just stay alive and then die again. He ascended into heaven and he will return again in glory. He's going to return. And there are certain events that will immediately precede this. 
We're told in the Bible, Luke 21 says there will be signs on the earth. Nations will be in anguish. There'll be perplexity. There'll be the roaring and the tossing of seas. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Revelation 6 describes this event. The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? 2 Thessalonians 1 says the same. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, it says, in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. So there are these two distinct groups in all these passages. One group is hiding, trembling, crying out who can stand, and the other group is standing and is lifting up its heads and is marveling at the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's these two distinct groups, and then there will be the appearance of Christ. A shout, we're told, a voice of an archangel, a trumpet blast, the dead will be raised, angels will be dispatched, and all will be gathered to Christ for judgment. These things are coming. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. You and I will be aware of the glory of Christ. John has already said, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When Jesus was born, you know, Charles Wesley said, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. How much more on that final day of revelation when we will see Christ in his glory, not the glory of God upon him. You know, Moses had his face was shining because it was the glory of God. It's not the glory of God on, on the Son of God. It's his own glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. It's glory emanating from his own very being. He is glorious. There is a glory of the Father, and there is a glory of the Holy Spirit, we're told. There is a glory of the Son. The whole triune God is a God of glory. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. This will be a day of revealed glory. All the angels, not some like in Bethlehem, some of the angels appeared, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but now Christ is established as king in his heavenly glory, and when he returns, all the angels will return with him. It, it will be an amazing manifestation of glory. That's the first thing. The second thing is we'll see the majesty of Christ the king, because he will sit, we're told, on his glorious throne. There'll be no contest to his majesty. No contender will step forward in that day to challenge him. Today, he exercises amazing and remarkable grace in this world where people blaspheme him and ignore him and consider him as nothing. 
And we don't fight back. We don't riot when our king is insulted or mocked. After all, he allowed them to put a crown of thorns on his head. But his slowness to judge those who insult him is not an indicator of his lack of existence or his lack of power. Paul writes, do you think you will escape God's judgment or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed and he will give to each person according to what he has done. We will see the majesty of Christ not just the glory of Christ, but the majesty, because he's the judge. There'll be no doubt about who the judge is. No contender, no appeal, no resistance. Every mouth will be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Romans 3, verse 19. Absolute jurisdiction. All the nations will be gathered before him. Absolute and impartial righteousness he will separate the people one from another and absolute finality one group on his left one on his right one will be blessed and will receive and one will forever depart he will come in his glory we will see his majesty and then thirdly we will hear him speak we will hear him speak and this is the king's speech remember this is, in a sense, his vindication day. This, this is the day when Jesus Christ will be undeniably seen and known to be who he is and who he was as the eternal Son of God, the King of kings, the judge of the whole earth, the one with unparalleled power and authority. He will be revealed to the universe, to all human history, in that day. What would our expectation be at such a moment? What, what words will come from his lips in that day of ultimate, total, historic vindication? What will he say? What's on his heart? What will we hear? You remembered the hungry. You remembered the hungry. What is this? What is this? This is the first thing he says. You remembered the hungry. You, you, you gave clothing to the needy. You, you included the stranger and you drew them in. You invited those on the outside to be on the inside. You, you cared for the sick and the prisoners. That was on my heart. You remembered the poor. That's what Jesus will say at the moment, at the moment of his global, universal exaltation, his heart, his concern, his love for the disadvantaged of the world come through. That's an amazing thing. He will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, I needed clothing, I was in prison, you visited me. 
is not that amazing? Is not that just life-changing? Doesn't that break every paradigm of power that you'd, <laughs> you've ever heard of or read of? It's the same Jesus. It's our Jesus still. He's still, I mean, I love the, he, he just doesn't seem to care for formality in that sense. He just breaks through the whole thing. His manifest glory doesn't reduce anyone to a zero. It lifts you up to sit with princes. Jesus himself lifts up even the most fallen, even at the moment of his greatest vindication. Even in his exaltation, <laughs> it's our Jesus. This is our Jesus, glorified, revealed. His glory, in a sense, his perfection, unhindered, manifest, unclouded, un unwarped by our broken filters, we see the perfect Savior. And no wonder we will cry out in that day, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The writer to the Hebrews says, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. It wasn't that he was imperfect and was made perfect, but he is just the perfect Savior. And that comes through even more to us in his going down, as someone read, to the very depths and being exalted again to the very heights where he will say, here am I and the children that you've given me. So, in light of that revelation, and that is a revelation, shouldn't we be asking ourselves, this is what we're going to get tested on, we know in advance what the test is going to be about, shouldn't we be asking ourselves, what am I doing? What am I doing now for those who are in need? Now, obviously, there's a measure, there's a variation in gifting. You know, you, you, what someone else should be doing isn't necessarily what you should be doing, but we're going to be discussing, and Joe's going to be sharing a number of different just initiatives, some of them small, some of them bigger, but you and I should be showing mercy in some kind of practical way and as a church towards those outside, because Jesus said, you did it for me. You did it for me. He takes the act of service towards someone who maybe can't help themselves, who maybe doesn't deserve help, he takes it personally, as though it was for himself. It's an amazing thing. And those words, you did, what you did for one of these, you did for me, has, have generated countless, as I said at the beginning, institutions and personal acts of charity from the building of hospitals to the creation of nursing orders, to the abolition of slavery, to an unknown Indian Christian nun sitting in a remote village holding the hand of a dying patient. Michael Green tells this story, I'll finish with this, of Martin of Tours. He was a Roman soldier, he was a Christian. One freezing day, a beggar asked him for money. Martin had no money, but seeing the man was blue with cold, he ripped his soldier's cloak in half and gave one half to the beggar. That night he had a dream. He saw Jesus in the courts of heaven wearing half of his cloak. And he heard an angel ask, Master, why are you wearing that battered old cloak? And Jesus replied, My servant Martin 
gave it to me. Gave it to me. So, we're going to discuss in our small way some of the small things that we've been doing at Jubilee as a local church. And uh, Joe is uh, majorly involved in all of this, so I need another microphone. And we're going to talk about Andy and Cheryl as well, because they're lovely. So, Joe, why don't you uh, just get the ball rolling by just sharing a little bit about what Andy and, and Cheryl and Corin and Chris kind of opened up for us. So, when um, we moved into a new building and Andy and Cheryl were with us, Andy, they were overseeing our kids' work, but we moved into a new church building, we bought an old warehouse, and it was um, basically on the edge of a very poor community mainly Muslim um, community. And um, Andy immediately looked at it and said, it's perfect for a kids club. So um, Andy and Cheryl started the kids club. Um, he was just saying today, the first, first week nobody came. And then gradually the second week, more people came and they took buses out to bring people in. Um, and that was a start really of something amazing in our journey of, at Jubilee with our social ministries because for, I think we found with our social ministries we start we see a little need and then they just grow and grow so from there we started a whole support group for mums because as the um, kids club team went out to visit the families in their homes they realized that a whole lot of women were just sitting in very uh, really not nice um, places. Their homes were often little one rooms. Sometimes there were shacks, no electricity, no running water, no safe places for the children to play. So Andy actually said to me, "What you know? Should we do a, a mums and tots group?" And out of that came a, a, um, a whole support group um, teaching life skills that we should we still do. Um, and the ladies then started asking me medical questions. Before you get to the medical stuff. The, um, what you've realized, first of all, was the, 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 lack, of the lack of safety. So it just describes the, the experience that some of the women uh, had when they just came into our kind of church space, which is so yeah. normal for us. Yeah, I think, um, so in our situation, and especially in this community, for a lot of the women, I mean, it's very, it's, there's a lot of gangs, a lot of drugs, um, and pretty much when they came to us on a Tuesday or the children came to Kids Club on a Saturday, that would be the only time they would feel safe, that they don't have to watch their backs, they don't, you know, have to worry about someone's going to take their stuff or whatever. They could just relax and they could just be, which was amazing to see, actually. And it was the only time, and it still is because we're still running this program, it's the only time that the younger children, the preschool children, actually have educational toys, have any input in their life, get to look at a book, you know, have a healthy snack sort of thing. So, yeah, it really was a place of refuge, which is why we called it Sunshade, because it's like a, you know, out of the heat of the day, they could come and just just relax and be loved. And uh, at the beginning, we tried to do a lot of things that would just bless them, like serve them a meal, you know. They could sit down and tables with tablecloths and we would cook and serve them, which they've never had in their lives. So little blessings that would really bless them. What about some of the, um, the kind of practical skills around 
I mean, from hygiene to moving towards looking for work, how to do an interview, mm. some yeah. of those kind of practical projects that you did yeah. kind of week by week. So at, at first, I um, actually, am I a team? I'm, I'm, I'm a team just assumed what these ladies would need, um, which was a bit silly because I'm, you know, I'm English, so how would I know what they need? So we started putting on things and doing things and they would just look, you know, or not turn up or just not really get involved because I think that's not what we need. So then after a while, after sitting with them, listening, talking to them, praying with them, visiting in their homes, we realized what they needed. So it was things like uh, helping to get a job, you know, even just basic life skills of you know, in an interview, even if it's for domestic work or shop work, whatever work it is they needed, basic skills for interviews, those sort of things. Um, we, uh, we often had um, health and hygiene and nutrition talks. Um, just, yeah, little things like that. We'd, I remember setting up, didn't we set up a thing where you, we used to have to go and buy the page that uh, had the yeah, jobs in? Yeah. And then didn't we set up a phone? yeah. So, yeah, um, and basically in South Africa, if you don't have a job um, and if, you ca if you've got some sort of disability, you can get a disability grant. If you have all the papers for your child, like birth certificates and everything, then you can possibly maybe get a child grant, but not many women have that. So, basically, there's no income, there's nothing, no support. So we, um, so, we provided a phone line, we provided a newspaper for them to look for a job, and obviously we taught them how to speak on the phone, um, we taught them how to dress for an interview, um, yeah, we, funny we, things. We bought teeth. But, yes, <laughs> things like, yeah, basic things like teeth, you know, glasses, those sort of things that aren't really provided by the government, so we provide... <laughs> Stuart's giggling <laughs> at that one, because... The, the thing is, is that uh, someone would turn up for a, 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 like a waitressing job with no teeth. And it would just well, immediately, yeah, it would just set them at an immediate disadvantage. So we ended up buying teeth and having, you know, paying for people to get dental care um, to, and, and, and kind of practical stuff as well. It's amazing how sometimes the supermarkets who are making so much money were kind of reluctant to help so you'd send letters so the way i tried to help was ineffective was trying to send letters and serious sounding letters we're doing a great thing and it would just never work but just wandering into a supermarket and talking to the manager and telling them what we're doing so there was one family where the door of their room was broken and so the husband just had to sit in the doorway all night to guard the family, not just the, their few possessions, but his children and his wife as well. So we, I remember, you remember doing this, we went into, I went into a pick and pay, which is like a Tesco's, and I just said, I need like burglar bars for a door, just like a, something we can fit a security gate. And he said, well, I, I can't give you that, but I could give you a voucher for it. And so uh, I, we found that sometimes just talking to a human being gave you direct access to some kind of help rather than the church funding everything. But we actually do are happy to fund everything as much as we can, at least anyway. So, okay, so Sunshade was doing a number of different uh, activities. They were doing crafts and stuff as well, hey? Yeah, so, I, yeah I think... Um these ladies had never had any opportunity to do any of this. So 
I'm just conscious that if you fancy doing something, you know, like sewing or knitting or whatever it is, some sort of craft painting, we would just go down the shop, buy the stuff and do it. But these ladies, not in their school life, a lot of them didn't even finish school. They never even did cutting or painting or anything. So it was lovely just to be able to provide that for them, just to sit, put all the craft stuff out and uh, just sort of initiate and show them how to do it. And then, I mean, just the talent inside them, they've got everything inside them. They just need a space to let it out. So we had art teacher come in and, and teach um, painting classes, which is just incredible for them, very therapeutic as well. So, yeah. so one, uh, I think when we started putting stuff up on Facebook and word began to get out, uh, wasn't there uh, like a company that did manicures or pedicures or something? Oh, and they yeah. did a whole morning. Yeah, it was a, a, <laughs> actually it was a hairdresser in Jubilee and she wanted to bless the ladies. So she brought a whole team with her and set up one of our rooms as a salon and did the whole works for all our ladies, which is really special. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So then you began to be asked medical advice because yes. my <laughs> little child here has got, you know, Yeah. Spots. So what basically, um, in South Africa, you have government hospitals or you can pray for, uh, pay for private health care. The government hospitals, if you want to see a doctor or go to a clinic, you have to basically get up four or five in the morning, travel there, wait... And you may get seen, you may just get seen for like five minutes or whatever. So a lot of the ladies were asking me, you know, what, what about this rash? Do you think my, I should take my child? Because they didn't want the, you know, the schlep of having to go and wait there. So, um, so basically, and I, I no clue, I've got no medical background. So I asked a, a nurse, a nursing sister to come in on a Tuesday and just answer the questions. And she would say, no, you can just get this cream from the pharmacy or you can just go, you know, you should go to the doctor. And that, basically, that was the start of a, a health clinic because um, a doctor who was part of Jubilee came back from India and she saw what was happening um, and then the leaders of Jubilee was thinking, actually, this is quite a good way we can serve the community. So um, now, a few years later, we've got an amazing health clinic um, facility. We have a doctor, a nurse, HIV testing, pregnancy um, help, count, free counselling, physio, um, and we get a lot of refugees who obviously don't speak uh, much English, and we provide translation. So in government hospitals, they, they just, there's no translation, so they try and explain what's wrong with them, and often it's wrong or they don't get the right care. So um, we're actually known in the, in the whole community as the Jubilee uh, Clinic, and people just come from a long way, and they just, you know, we've got Many Muslims, many of the Muslim community come and every client that's seen is prayed for in Jesus' name and the Muslims still keep coming back. We work closely with social workers and they send a lot of their children for, um, you know, if they want uh, medical testing for abuse, they send a lot of our, their children to us because they know they're going to get really good care from, the, from our doctors. So at, at, at kind of a certain point, as an eldership team, we, we had to make a decision, okay, we, we're going to invest in this. It wasn't, this needs to happen, we need to have a strategy, let's see. It was much more organic than that. It was having gifted individuals. So Sunshade can operate at a, a relatively low expense rate to, to, ch to the church. Um, because Joe's there and a team is built around her and that's functioning and it's sustainable. When 
Karen Wilson came back from India. She was running a hospital in the north of India. She came back to Cape Town, and then there was this kind of... I, I, I forget exactly whether she just kind of visited what was happening on Tuesdays uh, with, the, with the women on Tuesday morning, or she had chatted with Panny, who was the nurse. But anyway, a kind of idea began to form of why don't we kind of formalize this with you as a registered GP opening on a small scale. And it began quite small scale. We set aside a couple of rooms in our building for kind of counseling rooms. And they were slightly outside of the normal kind of uh, um, admin space. Although as it grew, uh, the waiting area, like this became the waiting area. Um, and, you know, by the grace of God, after probably 10 years, so, you know, these things take time, but probably after 10 years or so, um, with the offer of a very large donation from someone within the congregation, we went ahead and actually built a, a state-of-the-art health center, which is at the back end of our large warehouse. So, um, and as Joe said, now it's, it is just that, we're, and we're not doing it because we get any uh, particular kudos from it. It's, it's literally, it should be an outflow of what, we've, what we looked at in, in the text and an outflow of Christian compassion towards, towards that community. Uh, okay, so you've got Sunshade up. We've got the health center in place. Tell us about some of the other kind of uh, baby ministries almost that have come out of Mother Sunshade. Do you like that? That was kind of a metaphor. I think, um, just <laughs> I think it's just, um, as, we, as I said, as we got to know the needs of the ladies and their families. So um, one thing we use, we have a big mercy store, which is basically... Um, our congregation donate their secondhand clothes um, or their pots and pans, bedding, blankets, whatever. And then when people come either to Jubilee, homeless people, or in the community, there's lots of fires, especially in shacks and, you know, all the, they lose everything. And we're always, the, Jubilee's the first place that these families come to for clothes and for help. Um, we have like a shower facility on our, in our building so they can come just to get cleaned up and showered after the fires and stuff. So um, so that's one thing, is a mercy store, which we use uh, quite regularly. Um, and then there's, oh, we used to give out food parcels, actually, to people who came. Um, and we only had limited budgets, so limited food parcels. Uh, so we had way, way more people who needed them than food parcels. And also we found it actually wasn't very dignifying for them you know, just to give them a lump of food that probably they didn't like or, you know, they couldn't cook or whatever. So we basically, um, someone said to me an idea about a recycling swap shop. So now um, families bring recycling to us and we exchange it for vouchers. And then we have a shop set up where we, they can buy their own toiletries, sanitary pads, nappies, um, healthy food, second-hand clothes with these vouchers. So they're basically earning their, their things that they need for their families and they come with shopping lists and they know what they want. And so it's actually quite a, it's a good way for them to actually earn their own things, yeah, give they, them dignity. Again, if you're thinking, so how does this fund itself? Uh, it, the, the swap shop is essentially funded by donations that people give. Occasionally yeah. we have little drives where we... 
you know, this is all Joe's initiative, but you know, you set up a, a sample package of what a certain amount will will buy for the swap shop, and people have been very generous uh, towards that um, as well. But it's mm -hmm. a dignified way of giving. So rather than just, as Joe said, rather than just people coming for a handout, they're actually earning it by collecting recyclable waste. A certain amount gets a certain number of vouchers, and then they exchange the vouchers for whether it's pens for their kids or books or a calculator or whether it's toothpaste, toothbrush, you know, whatever products yeah, like, you know, tissues, toilet paper, yeah. all, all of that. Um, we also um, have set up a couple of uh, businesses to employ some of the ladies because a lot of the ladies we work with are totally unemployable. They have got, uh, basically had no um, education. They live in informal settlements, so no one's going to employ them. So we have a soap making business. At the moment, we're employing three ladies. Of It's pure coconut oil soap with essential oil, so it's all natural. Um, and then a few of the other ladies learned to knit in primary school, so we've put that to use, and they knit um, things from fabric like bath mats, or they knit uh, face cloths and things like that that we sell for them, and they get, get the money. Um, I'm trying to think what else we well, said. Those are two big ministries you just, I mean, Give, give a hope is that uh, what's the website address? Uh, give a hope uh, oh, at Jubilee uh, website. Give a hope So you can look it up actually and yeah. just verify that website for us. But it's it's give her hope so yeah. and so it's give her hope .za or whatever co.za and um, you know that that is a growing business. So with Christmas coming. The women are working hard. It's actually providing employment. Now, it's small scale. It's small scale, but it's the, it's the beginning phase. Yeah. I mean, it could grow exponentially. Yeah. The, 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 yeah, so you've got a sample right there. Um, yes. The, the <laughs> Cuvella, <laughs> there you go. There's one of the face cloths. And now Jess will model for us the, the potholder the, the ladies nine, the 2018 yes. face cloth range. <laughs> Um, and, and there's soap. the soap. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the Cuvella range, which is which are uh, bags, and so Truth Coffee, which has been consistently voted the best coffee shop in the world. You can look on that on the interwebs. It's true. The manager is in our congregation, joined us within the last year or so. And he's taken, what product did he take from Covella? So he has coffee sacks. And so he oh, yeah. provides us with the coffee sacks and we make them into cushions um, and bags. So, yeah. I mean, because all the tourists go to this coffee shop um, and they, so they can take something away of Truth Coffee. So that's good. So we're basically teaching the ladies. So we also <laughs> take chip packets, you know, that can't be, any packets that can't be recycled. They make them into pencil cases or... You know, so someone says, oh, my favorite chips are whatever, uh, Lay's, cheese and onions, so we can make them a product from that, like a pencil case or a makeup bag. Just or throwing it into the sea. Yeah. Uh, what about some <laughs> of the other Jubilee ministries? Um, yeah, so it's not, obviously we've got, that's just one section of our social ministries. We um, have two halfway houses for um, women prisoners, um, ex-offenders who come out and are on parole. This was started... See, again, this is another ministry that started by somebody had it in their heart. You know, they didn't, and they didn't sort of say, come to the church and said, you should be doing this. They actually, you know, started small, but started it themselves. And then, 
you know, Jubilee got on board and, and helped them and supported them. So she used to go into the prison um, and just on a Sunday morning and just <clears throat> do a worship service for these ladies. And that's how it started. And then she suddenly realized, actually, the ladies would obviously get released, but then a few months later they would come back, which is a worldwide thing, you know, of reoffending. And she said, <clears throat> this, isn't, this isn't on, really. So she got in. So she... I mean, it's amazing how she did it. She raised the funds and she got her first halfway house for these um, ex-offenders. Um, and which, it's which is that she committed to renting yeah. a property for these women, trusting that God would provide uh, both a kind of house mm. mother, um, but then also, which she wasn't the house mother, but she had yeah. a house mother in place. And then, um, you know, as these women came, that the donations would come in. So she and her husband have actually um, funded this at times of crisis. We've also stepped in. Mm. But we've also found that, and sometimes churches in the UK have helped us with this because it's, it's one of the, the most difficult ministries to fund because uh, someone has been in prison because they ought to have been in prison and now they're out again and what do you do? So the church is actually saying, mm. well, we will help, rather than you just having to go into something horrible yeah. to get money or some kind of shelter for yourself, we'll do something. So it's, it's a really, a, it's, it's a heart thing, but it's mm. been a hugely challenging thing. And well, it's, it, yeah. it's a 25-year ministry now, so it's, it's yeah, something probably. like that. So she, I was at their um, annual general meeting a couple of weeks ago, and they had some of the um, present um, ladies who were in the halfway houses just sharing and what they're doing, and they get them into training, and they have such a success rate that the government are now looking at these models and saying, actually, this is what we need in South Africa, and they're trying to copy them, although sort of obviously not with the church um, support, so I'm not sure how it will work, because all their people in their, their houses have to attend Jubilee, they have to attend... A lot of the, you know, like the sunshade program. So it's all intermingled with church life. But basically, these these women were saying, you know, if if I hadn't have had this chance, you know, I've I've never been loved. I've never had a mother figure. I've had a, never had anyone interested in my life. You know, it's it was just heart wrenching. The things that they were saying, you're saying, you know, if it wasn't for this house, I don't know where I'd be, you know, or what I'd be doing. And then I just looked at Stephanie and I thought, because I know Stephanie's had, sometimes she's had to nearly close it and it's been terrible, you know, I mean, just stressful and she's tearing her hair out. But I just looked at her and I said, because I had to do like, I was there on behalf of Jubilee and I had to do like a closing talk. And I said, Stephanie, you know, if you hadn't have obeyed God, you know, all those years ago, I mean, and all these tens of women who, their lives have actually totally changed. You've actually shown, you know, you've been Jesus to them. You've shown them something. A lot of them have become Christians. Many have gone on and got jobs. And I said, Stephanie, if you hadn't obeyed God and if you hadn't have kept at it, you know, if you had have sort of given in and said, oh, that's it, I'm not doing it anymore. You know, these women actually standing in the room, I mean, their, their stories would be so different. It was just so... Amazing. So I think that's what we're feeling with our social ministries. You know, if you have that little seed of something, you know, some heart for a certain um, sector of people or whatever it is, or the poor, and then just, you know, pray about it and start something small. 
and then see what happens rather than just saying, oh, maybe in a few years or maybe when this happens or, you know, I'll let someone else do that. Because, I mean, if you read all the missionary books, they started small. You know, if you think of Gladys Elwood and all those, those different missionaries, they started small. Jackie Pullinger, you know, just they did the first few steps and then, you know, God just in, enlarges the ministry. Yeah, I think one of the challenges from a, a kind of uh, pastoral perspective is uh, you do see need and you do have good-hearted people in the church. Say, when's the church going to do this? And when's the church going to do that? And uh, we should be doing this. You should be doing this. And I've got an idea. And here's the idea. That's my contribution. There's my idea. You should get everyone's old laptops and refurbish them. Off you go. And, and I'm like, well, are you willing to head that up? Is that what you're saying? No, no, I feel that my expertise is to have the ideas. <laughs> That's what I'm bringing. Well, you know, you cannot run social ministry. Like that. Most churches, ours definitely included, um, you've got a very kind of healthy team, but I'm sure there's still a small percentage of your congregation doing a high percentage amount of, of the actual work. And uh, if you're going to do anything sustainable that's in this line of work, or is this, it's going to be tough, it's going to fail, it's going to succeed, then it's going to fail. You, there have to be, the, you should not start something without the right person who's, who's actually spearheading it. And that's why starting something small is so helpful, because then you can grow with it and the team can grow with it, rather than having this large plan or strategy or seeing a need and saying, that's what we're going to do as a church, well, but you might just run a whole number of people ragged by that. Where's the gifted person? Where's the person that it's just, they're not going to stop? So Stephanie Van Veik, she, she, you know, she's gone through hell to, to get this up and running. She's gone through hell financially to try and make sure it, it, it keeps working. And when it's come to the crunch and we looked like maybe one of the houses we're going to have to shut, we then, even though it wasn't budgeted for and we're on a tight budget, we as a church, we know it's a jubilee ministry. We put, you know, we put the stopgap in. Uh, I think we drew in some interest-free loans from, you know, folk in the congregation or whatever. You know, you, you kind of do that. But if there's no Stephanie who's like the, the bulldog or the, you know, who's making it happen... Um, at the front of the thing, then um, you know you're going to fall at the first hurdle because th this is not a luxury, uh, you know, cruise. <laughs> this is battle. This is battle station stuff. Um, with our kids, kids club, kids ministry, giving food parcels away, giving clothes away, we don't do any of that on Sunday. That's not allowed on Sunday. Oh, you're so heartless, you heartless Christian pastor. That's right. Sunday, we're worshiping God. We're trying to do church. You're welcome to come, but there's a line. Come on Tuesday. You can, if you need clothing, you can come and check out some, some clothing in the, in the Mercy Store. Uh, I don't know if now in, in an observatory, we're leading a different congregation now, but I think in uh, observatory, <coughs> I'm not sure if they still do food parcels. Do they still have food parcels? So that stopped a while ago. Um, we don't give money away on a Sunday or pretty much never. We do have another social ministry. It's called a restitution fund, which isn't really a mercy ministry. It's for 
those who have benefited from the uh, imbalance of South African society uh, to put into a fund to fund disadvantaged young men and women through school, through high school, uh, and sometimes into kind of tertiary, uh, you know, we pay, make, some pay, make some payments to get people through, you know, pay the last bit of their fees so they can get their degree or whatever it is, you know, but that's, a, that's less of a mercy ministry and more of a justice ministry. There's a difference uh, between those, those things. Um, what else have we got going? What about um, the so we've got dance thing? That's a nice one. Oh, Cinderella's wardrobe, yeah. So that was another... Um, so basically we have uh, when um, our school girls, well, and the guys, but when they matriculate, they have a big dance, and it's a really big thing. But a lot of the girls, can't, they, they can't afford dresses. So we've asked our, um, our people in our congregation to donate dresses, and they donated the most amazing dresses from their own matric dance, which, you know, some of them spend so The matric dance, on. if you don't know what matriculation is, it's like the prom yeah. dance in America, yeah. or it's like, mm. it's like we do with A-levels here. We all go and have a dance. Not. <laughs> so, we um, don't do that. So, we, yeah, we just have a selection. Actually, we've got loads, because so many people donated of shoes and everything, and they can come and just try on, and they can basically go to the ball. Yeah. So they can feel, they can have that special... That special it's a brilliant design. idea. It's, the, yeah, the, it's, the, I mean, it's just to lend, so they bring it back, but it's... Yeah, yeah it's a small it's so thing, easy. but it's genius. It's she easy. came up with this name, Cinderella's Wardrobe. Yeah. I thought, that immediately gets the heartstrings, it gets the idea. Yeah. In terms of branding, it, it's like, it's a dream. Yeah, but anyway. for those girls, I mean, it's, it's a night of, you know, it's a special night, and they can feel wonderful. So we have one of our particular... Uh, our lady, she's actually our receptionist at Jubilee, um, she runs with, and she's got such a heart for these girls. So she lets them go in and try the dresses on with a mirror, and she, you know, helps them choose the right colours. And it's a whole as if you're going into a proper dress shop and being helped. We did have one <laughs> one guy come and ask for a dress. Yeah, we don't give it to the guys. That's just that's so, another yeah. rule. Um. Yeah, we do face that a lot in Cape Town. So I, so Sunshade is a ladies' ministry, and I had a guy saying, "Well, can't I come? I'm transgender." Uh, sorry, <laughs> but I think quite there, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we've got another guy that who always dresses as a woman and comes and asks for our mercy store for women's clothes. But yeah, we don't give him women's clothes either. <laughs> but um, anyway, what else have we? Um, oh, the edge. Yeah, we have a homework club. Oh yeah, cool. So for so. Um, in South Africa, you basically pay for all education, but the more you pay, the better school. So obviously our poorer communities, they can hardly pay anything and their schools are really not very good at all. And most drop out. You know, they maybe get to the end of primary, they maybe do a couple of years of um, high school and then they drop out. So we have, on a Saturday morning at Jubilee, we have a homework club where lots of members of not just teachers, but other um, guys who can sort of communicate and teach, they come and they, there's, we have about 60 children come in on a Saturday and they help them mainly with their maths and their English, but with all subjects they need helping with. And then it's also another way of getting to know them, getting to know their families and getting to know their needs so we can serve them in other ways. But that's a big thing, to, to get these children to matric level and pass their matric exams is, is actually quite a... Um, a thing in South in some of these communities because it's a rare thing because education isn't really held high because the, the the parents didn't finish their school and it's a whole 
you know, cycles. And again, that is something that you could do easily, you know, and, and yeah. if you find us, you know, if there's a part of Bristol, you know, there's a, there is a place where the schools aren't so strong, but you could add help, and, you know, that's that's something that could take place fairly straightforwardly. Um, have we missed anything on that? That's, there's 60 kids on that at the moment. It's just amazing. I mean, literally 60 kids going through that, which is so good. Just actually, we're just about to um, start. So we just bought a house called a mustard seed house oh, yeah. in the local area in Salt River. And um, it's basically for vulnerable women. So it's just now been um, renovated and we're just interviewing the women to go into it. So it's similar to our halfway houses, but these ladies ha aren't ex-offenders. They're from the community. Um, and kids will be allowed. And, yeah, young kids will be allowed in just to be able to mentor them, discipleship them, help them through and get them out of their vulnerable situation. So we're just about to start that as well. I think early next year the first ladies will move in. Yeah. I mean, there is a, you know, all these things are filled with kind of potential. Um, it happened this morning as well. I'm a bit nervous I'm going to get electrocuted. Yeah. Um, but there are, it's tough as well. I mean, there was one, uh, one woman uh, who had, I think, a couple of children, you, you know the story better, who was, uh, was, you know, working as a prostitute, had been from the age of nine onwards and heard the gospel, you know, responded to the gospel, was prayed for, uh, you know, just a wonderful thing, started attending church, was regular at Sunshade, but immediately lost. We just were unprepared. This is in the earlier days. Uh, there's nowhere for it to go. Or we tried to get her into different homes or, you know, shelters. But the, half of them won't take the kids. So this new house will be helpful in that, you know, that they will at least take kids. Um, and it just wasn't long before just the grinding necessities of life uh, just took her back out of our and we tried to get her a job as well, you know, and all of this. Um, and she did work for a little bit, but kind of unruly, not used to being told what to do. It didn't last very long. And Anyway, she kind of disappeared uh, from the scene for a while. And we lost touch with her for ages. And then a Swiss missionary uh, sent me or you an email. Oh, was it a letter? Uh, and in the letter just said, do you know this person? Uh, uh, she says she knows you. And it was a letter from Pakistan that this, this uh, woman was in prison for trying to uh, smuggle drugs uh, either in or out of Pakistan to South Africa and had been caught and was now in jail. I mean, it's just desperate stories. Anyway, she was released early. The, you know, a conversation, a correspondence happened, and she was released early. She got back to Cape Town. She came back to Jubilee. We're all like, she's back on track. And then, and then one day, um, the cash that was uh, some kind of petty cash for something uh, was stolen out of Joe's bag, out of Joe's bag. And we went through the cameras and uh, re-looked at the videos, and just to our, just, it was so discouraging. It was her. She'd come back that first time to Sunshade again, and she'd, she spotted Joe's bag. She went in, and she stole the money from the bag, and it was just 
You know, I mean, these things happen. It's just heartrending and it's heartbreaking, but that's part of it. You, you know, and and you've got to have uh, um, you've got to have something in God. You've got to really feel this issue of if you if you did it for one of the least of these, you've done it for me. It's got to be something that's put in you. Now there are a variety of gifts, so not everyone needs to be doing the same thing to the same level of intensity. Um, you know, I'm different. I'm very different from Joe. This kind of springs naturally to Joe. I kind of stumble into things. I we I bought a sofa online, and uh, then the company shut down, and I thought I've been had because it was the first big ticket item I bought in South, South Africa online, and I thought I've got this little email. Everyone will be refunded. You know, blah blah blah. I thought no, that's not going to happen. It was quite a few thousand rand. So I found their offices, which were in Salt River, not too far from us in Cape Town. And I went down there. I thought, I'm going to go meet the people. And sure enough, there were banks and banks of computers and a few, like, kind of remaining staff. And they said, oh, the owners come back. No, everyone will get paid. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I went back the second day, and I met the owner. I forget his name now. Do you remember his name? Anyway, I mean, a kind of a nice guy, a kind of well-to-do, you know of South African version of, you know, the dodging, diving London character. And uh, uh, we got on really well. We just, we just hit it off. And, uh, yep, I was going to get my money back. And, yeah, he's selling, you know, there's this sofa going here and there's that one there. And then we're selling the, this stuff at cost. And if you go to the factory, there's this, that and the other. And then he said to me, you know, are you in touch with any charities? I said, yes, charities is what we do. And he said, because there, he had sales for his staff, and then he said, I think you'd gone by this time, Andy. He said, I've got a whole warehouse full of product that essentially we've kind of agreed we can't sell, but if we donate it, we get the tax back, and I'll do everything itemized, and you can have the lot. I said, okay, thank you very much. The retail value was over three million rand. It was absolutely amazing. I hired trucks to, we didn't, we'd have a budget for this. I hired trucks to go down to the airport where these big hangars just, I mean, it was massive, you know, uh, distribution center basically for this, this company. It was actually a really good company. And lots of, it was all mainly imported European stuff from babies' bottles to clothing to leather shoes to hats to everything you can imagine cupboards, sofas, everything. And we stored it at Jubilee, and then we just did, yeah, we sorted through. So we basically, because um, we also work with a lot of other um, ministries and NGOs in Cape Town, so we basically contacted them and said, come on this day, you know, we've got, you can have as much as you like, whatever you like, and then, so a load of people came and just loaded up their cars and stuff with all these brand new things all for their Italian ministries. All these Italian leather yeah. shoes on. And we'd said, we'll do a, we'll do a sale, uh, which, again, it was, uh, I'd negotiated this with the, with the guy who was donating it to us. Mm. We'll do a sale for our staff as well, you know, for Jubilee. And, you know, if guys want to, we'll, we'll put some random prices. I don't even remember how we did it. And, and then all the money that we collect will go into social ministries. Uh, and so I'm looking at these beautiful leather Italian shoes thinking, please, don't let them all go. Don't let them all go. <laughs> but it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Shockingly, then, yeah. some then we of asked the them to come back again because there was so much stuff left over. So all, them, 
all the uh, ministries and the NGOs came back again yeah. and After stopped the first up again. day of continual trucks thing. coming and going, it still looked like we still had as much as we started with, yeah. all packed into these, you know, up yeah. really high up, these, these uh, black kind of uh, plastic bins, you know. I mean, it was, it was an incredible thing. It was like an over-the-top provision, like a blessing to, to the city. And it was great that God enabled us to, to just kind of steward that into these. The shocking thing to me, I was going to say, was how some of, some of the biggest charities and NGOs just didn't bother even. They, they, didn't, they didn't come and, and, and get stuff. So we had to do two days. But it was like Christmas. It was great. I just want to go back with something you said about this um, this lady who ended up in Pakistan. Mm. So with each of our <coughs> ministries that we do, we, the gospel is at the center. So even in Sunshade, we at least once a term, we have a creative gospel presentation. We offer prayer every week. We have some sort of um, Bible input every week for the ladies, just a little nuggets. Um, so they know it's Christian, but they still keep coming. The, the Muslim ladies still keep coming. Mm. I think every, I'm trying to think of every, I can't think of one of our social ministries that doesn't have the gospel at the center. So like I said, in the um, clinic, every client who comes through the doors and is seen is prayed for. Um, so I think that's quite an important thing for us as well, because obviously we want to get the um, people saved. You know, we want to help them, but the main thing, the best thing we can do for them is to introduce them to Jesus. Could just there might be a burning question. I know it's half past eight. When do you normally end? Is it half past eight? But it could be half past ten. There's a world out there that needs to be reached. What are we doing? No, you've got to go to work tomorrow. I understand. Uh, I'm going to Venice, so <laughs> it's fine. Um, is there a burning question that's like really on topic that's relevant to, to what we shared so far? Go for it, go for it, nice and loud. Okay, how do you build volunteer teams around these ministries? Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think pretty much a lot of our team leaders are employed by Jubilee, but the, most of the teams are actually volunteers. So it is, if you look at it, there is quite a small percentage of our church that are involved, and some would never even consider getting involved. But I think it's um, sharing a lot of stories, getting people. So the Sunshade Ministry, it's, it's great because it's a ministry that mums can do with their young children. They can come along yet still be involved in a ministry with their young children. And then, or, or I invite, if I know they're not working, but they're like a OT or they have some skill, I invite the women along to Sunshade just to see, you know, just to teach the ladies. And in that way, they can see what's happening. And we build up a lot of our team that way because just inviting them in to see what's happening. Um, and I think so it'd be think true to say with the, with the Sunshade team, uh, for example, uh, it's not a it's not an additional like burdensome pressure on someone. That, that most of the team have actually got some time, and are at a stage of life where they can really give some some time to volunteering, and that's the easiest and the best fit probably. Um, yeah. But mean, recruiting is important, yeah. and recru recruiting comes about through sharing yeah. vision for things. So yeah. Kids Club is uh, mainly run by students on a Saturday morning, but they go through sort of phases of they have a lot, and then other times they have to really, you know, ask people to come and help. So, it, yeah, it goes through phases, but it is, sometimes it is tricky to get people. And to get the to right ones. And to get the right ones, yeah. So it's trial and error. But I think 
it's not like I don't have the team. It's, am I called to do this? Have I got a heart to do it? Am I, am I, how easily am I going to give up on this? Or am I going to press through? And in the pressing through, there's encouragements and joy, and there's challenges and disappointments, but there's fruit coming as well. And I think if you as a ministry leader have that, you'll, you'll have a team. God, God will provide people for you. Um, I, I think the thing I want to emphasize in this particular area, because it tugs at all of our heartstrings, is this needs to be done. Pause. You know, sure. What are you doing? What are you doing? Maybe you're the answer to one of these needs. So let's pray, shall we? Shall we stand together? Yeah, Lord Jesus, uh, we, just, we just thank you, Lord. We worship and praise you for your heart for the poor, Lord, for the vulnerable, for the ones who have um, just had injustice thrown at them all their lives, Lord Jesus, and through no fault of their own. We just thank you that you have a heart for them, and you've called us to have a heart for them as well. And I just pray for each of us here in this room that you really would put seeds, Lord, of just compassion for different groups of people, Lord Jesus, who really need to be shown you, who really need us to serve them, who really need us to provide for them, Lord Jesus. I pray that in this room there would be um, birthed some amazing social ministries to the poor in, in Bristol, Lord Jesus. I, I just thank you that you, uh, you are with us every step of the way, Lord. Thank you that from the beginning of our ideas right through to the, um, the formation of the ministry and to the success of the ministry. You are with us, Lord. You are empowering us. You're providing for us. Mm. Yeah, and Jesus, now, I just pray that you would be speaking now to people, Lord, just, just putting compassion yeah. into their hearts, Lord. Jesus, and ideas and inspiration. Yeah. And, you, and I pray you would help them just to take that first step yeah. of actually doing something yeah. and getting things off the ground. In yeah. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Father, uh, just keep us from uh, kind of uh, well-intentioned tokenism or just from fits yeah. and starts. Lord, we, we want to say to you, God, we do actually believe that the gospel can transform communities. And whether it's uh, bringing people out of the devastating grip of drunkenness or whether it's providing shelter or whether it's ministering to those who are tyrannized and enslaved by, uh, by uh, bullies and um, by criminals. Uh, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would enable us with wisdom and with sensitivity to take steps forward in these areas as a local church. And uh, Lord, we, we just will not uh, be silenced uh, by the idea that we, we, we can help these people, but you can't preach Jesus. Uh, we absolutely are convinced that the new birth is the key to personal transformation. The, the, the being born again is absolutely fundamental, and we will never, and I trust this church, I pray this church will never compromise on the simple message of the gospel as the key determining power that breaks through. But having said that, Lord, we really do not 
only want to preach to someone and see them wanting to walk out of prostitution and then have nothing for them then just be thrown by the success of the gospel in someone's life and yet our inability or naivety to see through the next steps. And we think of people like the Salvation Army and other movements and George Muller, of course, here in Bristol and others who had to create systems, had to put in place um, uh, processes to sustain the work that you're doing in people's lives, whether it was educational, whether it was training, whether it was a kind of life orientation, whatever it was. And Lord, I, I pray, God, that you would help us here as a local church to take this one seriously, to say to you, I pray, God, uh, we think, well, you know, what is it, what happens when you hear stories like this? What happens when you, you look at a passage like Matthew 25? And I pray, Lord, as a result of what's happened here tonight, actual doors will open up for us. Maybe we know what those doors are. Maybe we don't even see what those doors will be yet. I pray, God, you would open doors so that we can serve you. I pray for it. I pray for each one of us, Lord, whether we're going to be directly engaged or whether we're going to help support, whether we're going to help structure, whether they're going to be trustees on a new NGO, whether we're going to be funding the, the, the ministries, <coughs> whatever our role is, whether we're going to be that person who's holding that other one's hand. I pray, God, help us to move forward with faith, not to shrink back, but to say, Lord, put it on my heart. Open it up for me. Open my eyes, Lord. Give me a team, Lord. Bring people around me who can actually assist me in the work that you, you seem to be drawing me into. I pray for gifted pioneers. Give us gifted pioneers who may not have experience, but have got a call from God, have got a sense in their spirit that will not be denied. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to do something that will bring glory to the name of Jesus, that will bring liberation to the lives of those who are uh, influenced by it. So I pray it for us as a church. Give us means, give us buildings, give us, give us a building here in Bristol, Lord, that, that we can do some of these things, that we can have as a base for some of these things, unhindered, without that vulnerability, kind of hanging close by all the time. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Lord, we're here for good. We're not going anywhere. You've planted, you've planted a candle stand in this place. You're causing it to increase. Now, Lord, we pray, help us to effectively serve those around us in Jesus' wonderful name. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Do it, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much.